are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for this November. My name is Tom Chick. My game of the week is not Call of Duty Ghost. And my name is Bobby Lurcher, and my game of the week is not Turtles in Time. My name is Mel Kirk, and my game of the week is not Grand Theft Auto V. Oh, Mel, it's a good game. Have you played Grand Theft Auto V, Mel? No, I haven't. Well, maybe that's why it's not your game of the week. I know. Maybe I wish it was. That's why I'm saying it's not. Uh, now, I have you guys on today because uh, both of you are partly responsible for actually distracting me from Grand Theft Auto with something I've been playing recently. Uh, both of you folks are with Zen Studios, yet, and here's what's puzzling to me, neither of you sounds like a Hungarian. <laughs> so why don't you explain to me uh, what what's going on with Zen Studios? Because I've known them for a long time as these, uh, it's almost mystical. They're like these geniuses over in Hungary making fantastic pinball tables. And yet, Mel and Bobby, here you guys are, not Hungarian. What's going on with that? Tom, do you want me to sound Hungarian? Do you want me to give it a shot? Could you do a Hungarian accent? I wouldn't, begin, I, I wouldn't know Hungarian from Russian from Polish. You, I know, Mel, you guys recently hung out with... Uh, now, who's the head of Zen Studios who was recently in town? Uh, yeah, Jolt uh, Kagoshi. Jolt. Mel, can you do an impression of Jolt's accent? Uh, I'll do my best. Here, let's see. Mel, why do we do this? This makes no sense. Boss hack. Kusi, kusi. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Okay, Domel, I don't want to. I don't want to impugn your your acting abilities, but I, I sounded. It almost sounded like there was a little Rastafarian in there. Yeah, well, you know, it's true. Hungarian <laughs> English sounds like Rastafarian. It also sounds uh, like many other languages. You could you could think it's Russian or uh, Klingon or <laughs> any sort of things, really. Well, now tell me. So you guys are basically the North American arm. Is that a, a fair way to put it? Of Zen Studios. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Uh, the main studio is in Budapest. Uh, that's where all the games are made, code, art, um, all that kind of stuff. Bobby and I uh, make sure that people know about the games, that they uh, get distributed and published, and uh, we, we help get things together with like the brands for uh, for pinball, and we work uh, with the community. That, that's all Bobby. I'll let her talk about interesting things there. Now, Bobby, so you are, you're the community manager. Uh, we spoke briefly before about the kinds of questions you have to deal with all day. What, what sort of managing does the, the community tend to need? Um, they basically just have a lot of questions about what's coming. Like they, they consume our, our games and our DLC really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So as soon as something comes out, they're like the next day, it's like, okay, what's next? We want more. So a lot of it is, uh, you know, what's coming, what's coming, what's happening, what are you working on? So, Mostly that. <laughs> well, actually, so here then is a, is a question that I have and something that I've wondered. Uh, is a lot of the, the community that you have to deal with, are a lot of them serious, hardcore, real-world pinball fans? Or do a lot of people who play the Zen Studios games just play virtual pinball? Do you have a sense for that, Bobby? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both. I would say mostly it's people who haven't played a lot of real-life pinball, but are most hardcore fans, like the people that are on our forums, um, they are, you know, they're a little bit older, like some of them are like middle-aged, um, and they, you know, they grew up playing pinball, so Zen is just like, you know, something that they can get, you know, get a hold of and, and play without having to actually like go out and find a table, which may or may not exist anymore, so. Can you, yeah. can you get us, when you're dealing with folks in the community, do, do they sound, like, can you sort of spot an old-school analog pinballer? versus uh, some Johnny-come-lately who's just playing the virtual tables? Do they sound different? Do they have different 
demands, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. Um, some of the older players want, you know, stuff that's based on older, uh, older tables or older, you know, they want more original, like, real-life feeling stuff. Um, and you can always tell, like, the younger crowd, they always have requests for, like, newer stuff, like Adventure Time and DC Comics and stuff like that, so. Which, you know, also, mm-hmm. go ahead. The, the, older, the older people started to cut in here, like, um, their gripes are legitimate. Like, they know how to pick oh, yeah. a table <laughs> apart, and they'll, like, you know, then we know we're dealing with an old school person. There's no question about it. Easily. Like, they'll, I imagine, have, have a whole different language and a different tool set to evaluate a table, I imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, uh, so that that actually, I, can you guys then talk me through the process of Zen making these tables? Um, does it start with a concept or a licensing idea? Uh, is there somewhere in Budapest a book of cool gimmicks waiting for a theme? Uh, does a table have a designer, a single designer, for instance? Talk me through the creation of a, of a table at, at Zen Studios. Yeah, definitely. It's it's quite a process, um, and that's a big question. So we'll kind of break it up piece by piece, I guess. Um, if we're if we're dealing with a branded product, um, Star Wars, for example, um, there will have been a lot of discussion in, in talking with the the partner LucasArts about just kind of what we see is the envision of, of the entire like series of tables, and we come up with theme ideas, and that's where we start with with every single table is. Uh, make sure we, we get a theme that we find interesting as creators and that the guys on the team are passionate to work on. Um, a lot of times if there's an idea, uh, and we'll just we'll throw it out there and say, who wants to work on this? And if like five hands go up, we know we've got a winner because we know that they're actually going to be into into working on it. And if we throw one out there that no one cares about, we just we don't even do it. So um, that's kind of the first thing is making sure that it's something that we're excited to work on. And then uh, we go through and... Uh, we, we create a full game design doc, which can be upwards of 50 pages long, and, and that'll be um, all the everything that needs to go in to make sure that this theme uh, feels real and, and that we get like the, the toys correct and we get the characters that need to be there and, and the voices and the, the lines that need to be incorporated. And we come up with this just master plan, and then we throw that thing back and forth for a while and uh, mold it down into um, an actual framework and something that everyone agrees on. And then we start, um, and you know, the designer's working on it at that point. We do assign a, a designer who will be there start to finish. And uh, and then after that happens, um, the table starts getting laid out. Uh, we, we start putting in uh, frames, uh, wireframes, and uh, we go to work on the table geometry, uh, go to work on actual 3D uh, models for the characters and toys, and we decide which things are going to be animated, and uh, we go to work on the rule set. Um, like actually implementing um, the rule set, making sure that the table flows correctly. And once we get that general layout and everyone's happy with it again, then we actually can start filling the thing in and creating the artwork. And um, and then it just kind of slowly pieces together. And, and the table actually doesn't look like much until it's almost done, uh, when all the elements finally come together. Uh, and it's about, a, would say, an eight-month process on average from the time we, we greenlight a theme till it's actually playable and we can submit it to first parties for testing and uh, distribution. Now, one of the things that I notice with a lot of tables, and I'm curious if at Zen Studios there's any terminology or, or formal recognition of this, is that some tables seem like they can easily exist in a real-world version. You know, there's not a lot of fancy things. There's not a lot of stuff flying around. There, there aren't a lot of effects. But then some tables seem to fully take advantage of the fact that these are video games and they can do things that real-world analog tables could never, ever do. Sometimes these are gimmicks. Sometimes these are just graphic flourishes. Um, 
is there a recognition that some tables are closer to real-world tables and others are, are more flights of digital fancy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that actually comes down a lot to um, the designer on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, Deep, who did um, Episode 5 and also um, Episode 6, uh, which I think are tables that could actually exist in the real world, he played um, a lot of pinball on machines, and he actually owns machines and um, and so he's more of a classical designer, I think, whereas some of the, the more fantastic tables and like things that embrace the video game nature, uh, for example, Starfighter Assault is a great example. Um, that was done by um, um, Yvonne, who never played real pinball, but he just he's more of a video game designer, and he's learned the skill and the craft of pinball. I, I so, like the two words that you've rolled out, Mel, is classical and fantastic. Uh. Yeah. Um, well, good. I think that those are good ways to describe these, and we we find that that's good because I mean we want to um, we we want to have like this lineup of, of games that appeal to both um, you know the hardcore players who play on machines and these more casual people who have just discovered pinball as a result of, of video games. So um, for us, it's nice to have this balance. We've got both with both talents um, here who can kind of give us what we need uh, for everybody to be happy, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's talk some about some specific gimmicks on some of the tables, and uh, uh, some of these are things that, of course, a real-world table couldn't do, uh, and even even whether it's a fantastic or a classical design, one of the things that I really like, and I don't know if this ever existed, um, because I'm not a super hardcore pinball guy, I'm I'm very much a dilettante, uh, but I love video game pinball, Uh, and one of the things that I've seen you guys do with a couple of tables is uh, this this sense of of making a decision before I start playing. Uh, I think, as far as I can think back, one of the earliest instances of this was in the Avengers table where a different ball represents a different Avenger. And right off, before you ever pull the... Like, right as you're pulling the plunger back, you're deciding which Avenger do I want. And similarly, on the Starfighter Assault table, right off the bat, before I even pull the plunger, I'm deciding, do I want to fly for the Empire or, or the Rebellion? Um... So this seems like one really cool gimmick that I don't know if it exists in the real world, where you make a decision before you ever put the ball into play. Uh, is that something that Zen kind of, I would, for lack of a better word, invented? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and to give credit where credit's due, um, Chris Baker over at Marvel, uh, who's been a fantastic help and just like really influential um, with the development of Marvel Pinball, he actually gave us that idea. Because ah. uh, we were wondering how to do the Avengers Pinball. And uh, we were just totally excited that we got to work with the movie license. And but how do we, you know, represent each Avenger and give them special abilities? And he just kind of said, "Hey, why don't we let each ball be representative of each Avenger?" And we were just like, "That's perfect." So we ran with it. And so Chris really is the one who, uh, and he's actually an old school game journalist. I don't know if you know his name. I definitely know his name. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, now in, in Starfighter Assault. I almost don't want to ask you this because I'm not sure I want to be disabused of it. Is choosing the Empire or the Rebellion just cosmetic? Uh, yeah, at its core, yeah, it is cosmetic because. Um, but you actually you, you earn um, I mean, you upgrade and whatnot your fleet, uh, and so it, you know those things happen to your side. But um, there really is no difference in like the gameplay. It's not like you're trying to accomplish a set of missions um, for one side, and then there's different missions on the other side. Right. Okay. Uh, now, another gimmick that I don't think I've ever seen before, and uh, it makes this one of my favorite tables that you guys have done, is, uh, and Ted Gummin, I'm going to forget the name of it. Is it Epic Quest? What's that RPG table? Yeah. It is. A, yeah, so Epic Quest has persistence from match to match. 
Uh, and it's almost like, why did nobody think of this gimmick before? Here's something. Plenty of people make video game pinball tables where there are little things flying around and special effects. But this whole idea of persistence from match to match, that this table is a table that I have leveled up, a character that I am keeping, I just think that's a brilliant twist. And it makes me completely blind to any faults that table may have. I don't know if it has any faults, but I'm absolutely in love with it just because of the gimmick. Uh, how on earth did did this not get done earlier, and how did you guys come up with this? Uh, well, the reason why it didn't come up or get done earlier uh, is because it took a long time to get it done. I think that we worked on that table for almost three years. Um, Sounds like the but, name of the table was particularly apt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we actually we, we renamed that table like five different times, too. It was really funny. What other names did it have? Do you remember offhand? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the original name was Looter, which, which is <laughs> Wait really... Wait a minute. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, that just that that puts that, that puts an odd connotation on it. Uh, like, yeah, I know. Like everybody thinks of that with RPGs, but also you, you know, like in the the wake of Hurricane Katrina, there's a, there's a weird connotation there. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, um, I actually thought there's a character in the Marvel universe uh, called named Looter, and he plays a very insignificant <laughs> role anywhere. And so when I saw on our table roster, and I said Looter, I was like, really, we're doing a table based on Looter? I was like. <laughs> Guys, this makes no sense. And so I sent it to Marvel. I was talking to Chris, and he's like, whoa, I have never seen this anywhere. Why, what? And so I go to talk to the guys, and they're like, oh, no, that's our own original table, another one. And I was like, oh, we can't call it Looter. You just, for that one reason, but many others. It's a funny story. And now why did uh, why did Epic Quest take so long? Uh, it, it took a long time to get that system right. I mean, we built in an RPG uh, leveling system, and it just... It was like it just didn't wasn't making a lot of sense um, the way that you were leveling up and then um, the way you progressed and the difficulty of uh, killing the monsters and completing the modes. Uh, so it's just it was our first time taking a hack at any kind of RPG element, and uh, and then also we, that was a time when we were entering into deals with like Marvel and some of the branded stuff. So it just kept getting put on the shelf and put on the shelf while we tried to you know make other people happy um, with with Marvel and whatnot. Now. Uh one of the another unique angle that some of the tables uh, takes is uh, doing crazy gimmicks that you could never do with a real world table. And the one I think that does some of the craziest is it Infinity Gauntlet? It's in that pack. It's a table that does things like you're playing it upside down or it's reversing the things. It's playing with all these different dimensions. Is that Infinity yep. Gauntlet, or am I thinking of one of the other ones in that pack? Yeah, that's Infinity Gauntlet. So, so that does some absolutely crazy things that you could never do in the real world, and I sort of feel like that's where Zen Studios really let their hair down and embraced this idea of we're just going to break all the rules. Yeah, but see, it made sense for that theme because Thanos is like this crazy guy and his powers um, in the things that are happening in that story like fit perfectly for us to be able to do something like that. It wouldn't make sense in it with another theme. So. Uh, when we got our, you know, we were able to do um, Infinity Gauntlet, we said we actually need to take these superpowers that are involved with the Gauntlet, and we need to actually play them out the way that that they would in in, in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, a question. I'm, will, will we ever see another table uh, that is not licensed? And and I ask because you guys are getting some amazing licenses. They're obviously keeping you busy. Um, but part of me really misses things like, you know, Secrets of the Deep and Biolab and Pasha, like those original uh, Paranormal, for instance, the one with the giant robot. Is it Invasion USA? That that one. Uh, part of me misses things that don't have a license. Uh, will we see more of these, or 
is it just do they will they just not sell? Is it simply not worth it at this point to not have something with a license? Uh, well, you're not the only one who wants to see uh, original tables. I mean, Bobby, you can. Oh man, every day. Like, every get, day, yeah. We get originals every single day. Uh, and Bobby, and, is that something that seems like it comes from? Uh, like, is that something that seems like it comes from both of the the video pinballers and the old school analog guys? Yeah, it's both. I mean, okay. a lot of people have been, you know kind of vocal about the whole Marvel thing. Like, we've done, obviously, a lot of Marvel tables, like, what, like, 20-something Marvel tables now, so people are like, okay, like, let's change it up a little bit. Um, They were, you know, they were satiated a little bit with Star Wars, and, you know, they're like, okay, this is awesome, Star Wars is great, now do something original. So, people are definitely asking all the time for it. That's probably our number one question. (laughs) And you know, Tom, uh, we are working on original tables. Um, You'll see the first one probably like in the first three months of next year. Um, And there's, they're really good projects for us. And yes, we will make money on them. Our original stuff still to this day um, is our, is our most profitable pinball. We don't have to pay license fee. We don't have to pay cash up front to get that license. Ah, Right. So uh, if you look at Pinball FX2 Core Pack, on, if you look at the leaderboard entries, uh, it's got the most entries out of anything we've ever done. Ah, good. Well, that's good to know. Good. Because uh, I, I certainly I can appreciate the balancing act between getting a really popular license and not milking it. or Because it is odd. When I boot it up on the 360, which is my platform of choice, just seeing all those Marvel characters, somebody walking by would think, oh, this is, this is some Marvel-themed pinball pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, and I do, you know, some of those original ones I, I still love going back to. Uh, so uh, let's talk also ab- about uh, one of the unique challenges for you guys must be all the different platforms. Because I can't think of maybe, I guess there are no Zen pinball tables on the Atari 2600, if I'm not mistaken. We're working on it. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so one of the things I love about the different platforms... It's sort of like there's there's no platform that accomplishes everything. I almost wish I could take a little bit from the different platforms. For instance, on the Nintendo 3DS, I really like the 3D. I love what that does to the sense of depth in a table. You know, there's so many. There are, I think, what is it, seven different angles on each table, and no one angle is good for every table, so I'm constantly having to sort of figure out which one is best. But when you add 3D, it, just, it, it makes the decision a lot easier, you know. Um, so I really like... Uh, Zen Pinball on the 3DS. But then I really like holding it on the Vita vertically and just having that perfect top-down view uh, in that in, on that beautiful Vita screen of a pinball table. Um, but then there's the situation where I can't quite get the controls the way I like them. Um, and, and on the, the iPad, for instance, it looks beautiful, but I simply cannot play without tactile feedback. You know, tapping the iPad screen, it doesn't work for me. Um, so I can imagine what a challenge it must be working with all these different platforms for you guys. Ooh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're at, what, 10, 10 platforms now? That it's just been a crazy, crazy ride <laughs> trying to get everybody all synced up in the same week. And release dates are just all over the place. And especially with our schedule of, you know, releasing DLC um, every so often and releasing packs or single tables, and it's it's quite a madhouse. <laughs> and I can imagine with the different models for, say, the Nintendo 3DS versus iTunes, uh, just navigating all of that must be pretty treacherous as well. 
Yes. Uh, and, and that's kind of getting into the secret sauce and the beauty, I think, of what makes Zen successful is, I mean, we've, I think we're one of the few in the world who have managed to harness, like, all of these different channels and be able to um, coordinate them. And, and there's a lot of politicking that goes on, and there's just weird things that happen playing people off each other sometimes just to get lined up so that you can release a, a table. Because if we put one out on Xbox and not PlayStation and maybe it comes to iTunes, like we, th- we just get people yelling at us like we're, like we're doing this on purpose, like we want to piss them off, you know? So Yeah, you are, you're obviously uh, either uh, Microsoft fanboys or Sony haters yeah. or you, you dislike Apple. Yeah, there's obviously some sort of bias there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, it all falls on Bobby, and I feel terrible sometimes because she's dealing with hate mail from people because we didn't get paranormal out on time, you know, on Xbox. So it's like, that was me, by the way. I'm the one that sent most of those emails. Uh, uh, Bobby, what sort of uh, when you're dealing with all the different tables, uh, are there any tables that are uh, more? I don't want to call them problem childs, but are there, are there some tables that people feel more passionate about than, than others, either negatively or positively? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely the favorites, and then there's the, like, notoriously rough ones, like Iron Man. Like, everyone is like, ah, oh, Iron Man is so tough, and, like, it's hard to get a flow on that table. And then, you know, that's our most notorious one is that, you know, the Iron Man table. That and... Um, Either V12 or or Speed Machine, people just freak out about those two tables also. Like, are those supposed to be challenging tables? Is that the idea? Is that they're really challenging? Yeah, they're they're supposed to be challenging, and people just take offense and they're like, "Why did you make it so hard?" Or like, (laughs) even on the other uh, the other hand, uh, Ms. Explosion Man, one that we have on Steam and XBLA, uh, people are like, "Oh, this is too easy. It's silly. It's pink." It's like, well, you know, we we want to give people a nice, you know. Uh, selection and you know range of of difficulty and style and stuff like that. So there's definitely you know love and hate for <laughs> all those tables. I imagine that ties that's another aspect, Mel. When you use the term classical or fantastic for some of the tables, obviously some of the tables are meant to be more challenging. Some are meant to be uh, easier, um, and that's one of the things I appreciate when I sit down to play. Do I want to? play a table where the ball is going to be in play for 10 minutes, or do I want to play one where I'm going to be lucky to keep it in play for a couple of minutes? Uh, there's this sense of choosing a difficulty level as well as a theme with some of the tables, isn't there? Yeah, and you know, some of that's calculated just based on the theme that we're going with and what audience we think we're going to reach, because a lot of our strategy in the last couple of years has just been trying to get new players. Um, uh, the, the, the video game crowd and kids growing up today who play games, they never played machines, and to them, pinball just sounds like this old school game that their dad used to go spend his quarters <laughs> on in an old smelly building. You know, so they, they just don't get it. But when we introduce them to characters that they know and love, and they see maybe some explosions going on, they'll they'll pick it up and they'll give it a chance. So, like for example, plans for zombies. We oh yeah, a, we got a heck of a lot of women all of a sudden playing pinball, and we had to give them a table that they would feel good about their score and not make them feel terrible because they got, you know, they lost the ball really fast and we wanted them to enjoy themselves and hopefully get hooked and, you know, want to keep playing the game and other tables. So, but we, we still needed to balance that and hopefully not make it too easy for everybody. But, you know, there's just those things that we have to do business-wise and just if we made every table super difficult, look, we're limiting ourselves and we would be out of business. There's no question. And then there'd be nothing for anybody. I, I so. do realize that on some of the tables, I get a sense that some of the tables, I will never see some of the upper-level missions or even just some of the sub-tables or the basic mechanics for the table because it's super difficult. Like, I get a sense that there's all this content out there 
that is beyond my capabilities. And I'm, I'm okay with that for the most part. Uh, but, but I clearly realize I'm kind of in the middle there for, for uh, like what I can see that you guys have done. Yeah, Iron Man's a great example of that. We go back to that one as diff- being difficult. I think uh, we actually the the last achievement in Iron Man is actually the least um, earned achievement in all of Xbox, and um, something like ninety nine point nine percent of the people who have played that will never see Ultimo come up out of the middle of that table. Uh, now I feel like you're throwing a gauntlet down, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, literally, it's like it's like documented information on the easiest achievements to hardest, like Pinball FX two achievements. <laughs> Uh, are some of the hardest to get. We're like in the top ten. Uh, we have a few in the top ten. Mel, do you have that Iron Man achievement? I, d- I don't even have it. Bobby, do you have it? I definitely don't have it. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that good, and Iron Man kind of pisses me off. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is again. It is sort of like okay, how how aggravated am I willing to be? What table am I going to choose? Exactly. So uh, many people on our forums just go off about how they're like, oh, I remember when I got to Ultimo, and you know, just three broken controllers later, like. <laughs> Uh, so I guess there was a time then where there was kind of a stigma associated with making video game pinball. Uh, has that passed? Like, haven't you guys pretty much uh, blown that stigma out of the water? We have uh, on several levels. Uh, one, you know, with with like young video game playing type of crowd who maybe like they only played Call of Duty, you know, and first person shooters. Um, all of a sudden, like a lot of that crowd, um, they'll play pinball and they think it's cool. Like it's this kind of cool thing going on. And then also with, with press and journalists, a lot of them, um, I know when I first started working with Zen and I would pitch them on pinball effects too, you know, they're like, uh, this isn't really cool, you know. <laughs> pinball, this is really dorky. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've gotten gotten away from that um every once in a while we'll get comments like really pinball and it's like yeah really pinball it's awesome check it out and people are like oh okay (laughs) i really do get the sense that somewhere in there there's if you don't like pinball or if you think you don't like pinball i'm convinced that you just haven't found which table that zen studios has made that, that will get you sucked in uh, I, I do get the sense that there's something there for everyone. Uh, and I, I see this less, but I, I vividly recall uh, there's, a, there's a studio called Cunning Development back in the 90s that, that made a series of pinball tables called um, – I forget what the series was called. But they had uh, Big Race USA, Time Shock. There was one other. Uh, and I remember reviewing one of these for a magazine – um, and still, even then, just being mainly a, a casual video game pinballer, I never was super into actual pinball, uh, and reviewing Big Race USA and giving it five stars. And my editor emailing me back and saying, wait, five, five stars for, for a pinball game? Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, but increasingly, I, I get that less and less often. There will be times at the site that I run where somebody will not will complain about me not giving a certain game a high score and they'll say wait a minute you gave this pinball game five stars yet you gave this game three stars so but that that is happening less and less over time i think it's uh it's less of an odd thing to be in love with a pinball table these days i feel yeah you know and i also think uh, and i get emails from a lot of press who just they kind of tell me hey zen studios you guys have earned your place you like you guys have earned respect for sticking with this and for what you guys set out to do, you do it very well. Like there's nobody better. And so, I mean, to hear that kind of feedback, uh, and after years of literally like struggling to try to get coverage and begging for anybody to pay attention, it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk briefly about something that I don't understand, uh, and that's this idea of physics. Uh, there are a couple other folks out there making uh, pinball tables, um, and 
one of them, I can't think of the name, but there, there's one of them that has this reputation for super hardcore realistic physics. Uh, and I think they're doing ports of old tables like Twilight Zone. They've done a Kickstarter. Uh, and that's kind of their niche. It's like our pinball physics are, are, are great. Um, I know this is something that obviously you guys care a lot about. Uh, as someone who is just a casual pinballer, what's the deal with pinball physics how does that matter, and, and how do you cater to people who complain about it is or, or isn't realistic? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, our our physics engine has been evolving for the better part of 10 years now, mm-hmm. and, um, and it, it's very, very high-tech, and, it, and it's our own technology. We're very proud of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the weight of the ball on a pinball table is everything. And um, the way it moves and interacts and bounces off and, you know, just for – I'm not using scientific terms here, but just trying to break it down for someone to, to casually think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way that the ball interacts on that table is going to totally determine your play field experience. Um, the pitch of the table, is it is it steeper? Um, is it shallower? Coming off the loops, like how fast is that ball coming? And, and that is all done in the physics engine. And sometimes if it's not done right, you know, you can get this kind of floaty feel where the ball is just kind of like bouncing off of things and it's not really striking an object and the collision isn't correct. Um, other times with, um, if like sometimes in games we'll have it where the ball will hit um, something that tar- you got to hit that target hard enough to activate it. Well, what if the ball is not the, at the right mm-hmm. speed or velocity? Um, you know, so those things go into the physics as well. And I, I personally think that our physics are, are spot on. And I know immediately there's there's other pinball games like we were talking about um, where you just you pick it up and you start playing and you know something's off. It's just when, once you play a lot of pinball, you just it's you, you might not be able to define it with words, but you just know it, you know the way it hits the flipper or whatever. It's just off. Mm-hmm. So for us, we always fine tune our physics. It's constant. It's still evolving. Um, the, the work we do in the engine and for next-gen platforms and systems and uh, for what the hardware is capable of, of powering, and that might affect the ball physics as well. Mm-hmm. But for every person who says that they're perfect um, and that they love it and we're the best, we have a person who says, your guys' physics are terrible. I can't believe anybody thinks this is any good. So <laughs> I don't know. It runs it, – it varies. Uh, I used to play a lot of flight sims, and I, I remember the conversations about on, on the internet and in reviews about realistic flight models, uh, and how some people would really care about this, the stall speed of an airplane, and other people wouldn't care one whit. And then there's kind of a subjective feel to it, and then there are other people who would bring in data. Uh, I, I can imagine there's there's a little corner of that going on in people who complain about pinball physics as well. Oh yeah, I mean it's always about like. Oh, is the ball too light or is it too heavy? Does it, you know, does it feel like there's too much going on and it just isn't reacting like it should in, you know, real life? But there's, yeah, there's a lot of people who just really, really get into the whole physics thing and are just really critical of it. So, which is cool. I think it's, I think it's awesome. I mean, it shows that, yeah, that those people care. Uh, there's yeah. a, that's, a, that's a type of passion, like, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Usually when, uh, you know, we have people talking like that, it's like, Wow, you either play a lot of you know pinball simulation games, or you've played a lot of like pinball in real life, and you you know what you're talking about. Like those are all some more experienced players. Yeah. We're now, talking about science and math here, right? So <laughs> and there's a formula involved, and as, as you tweak that, that's that's what'll change the actual in-game experience. Uh, let me. So I I am fairly well known for my mastery of science and math. I want to run something by you guys. One of the reasons that I steer clear of most sports. And pinball should apply to this, but I'm willing to indulge pinball. Uh, 
a spherical object has uh, an infinite number of points on it. So that's the, that's the math part. Then the physics part, there's Newton or something. When you hit something, it goes in a certain direction. That's a Newtonian principle. So therefore, if you hit a spherical object, which has an infinite number of points, there are an infinite number of directions it can go. How can you ever manage that? That's always been my opinion. If I kick a ball, it's just <laughs> as likely to go in that direction as it is that direction or that direction or this direction. I feel the same way about pinball. Who can, who can master that? It's, it's insane. It's impossible. That's, That's a brilliant point. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm hoping to get that work published somewhere uh, someday. <laughs> uh, so here's a, here's a complaint that I have. Here's where I want to call you guys out. Uh, and I imagine part of it is maybe fidelity to actual pinball tables. I don't know if it's a failing, but it's something that when I get a new Zen table and I sit down to play it, you know, I'll, I'll run through the balls a few times just to sort of get a look at the table, I'll play with the, the tight end view so I can watch the ball move around and I can look at the different targets, and then I'll back out and I'll read the documentation for it, the little rules of play. Now, in the olden days, with real pinball, those rules of play were just a little tiny sheet with a few bullet points kind of that were taped, that were underneath, that were printed underneath the glass. Uh, there were no help whatsoever, partly because I imagine the pinball companies wanted you to spend all those quarters figuring the table out. Uh, you guys don't have that excuse. So sometimes I, I look at these tables and I feel like it, it's they're so infuriatingly underdocumented. Like I want something to hold my hand and to meticulously explain to me different things and to show me the different points on the table. Uh, sometimes I feel like the Zen tables are documented like the old school real world tables and I have to do a lot of trial and error to figure things out. Is that intentional? Uh, is that just me expecting too much? Uh, and is that even a complaint that you guys get much that, about the documentation of the tables? Oh yeah, I mean people people always you know are asking about oh why is it why is it this way on the rule sheet or why is it you know why didn't you add this to the rule sheet or you know why did you bother even saying that because it's you know certain things on certain tables will you know like you said it can it can bounce any direction like it can go anywhere so people are like well that doesn't make any sense and it's like well the way we designed it <laughs> it does make sense so you know that might not happen every single time it's not you know it's it's all about skill and a little bit of luck so yeah people definitely um definitely talk about the rule sheet a lot and i think a lot of it uh, pe people usually from you know like our forums and stuff, will go through the table a few times, play a few rounds uh, before they even look at the at the rule sheet because they wanna they wanna discover as much as they can before you know basically just reading everything. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also have like another another layer of that with uh, we have a, a a guide writer who does awesome job um, like picking apart the table and like walking you through, holding your hand through every little mission, every checkpoint, you know every every bumper is plotted out and he explains how to do every little thing. Like I like you can play and play and play and then you'll go through the the guide and you're like, "Oh, wow, I didn't even know that was a mission or something," you know. So where where are these guides? They're on our blog if you want to if you want to check them out. They're all there's a PDF. Like some of them are like 40, 50 pages long. They're really really in depth. <laughs> so there is an online repository for the kind of information that I am asking for it sounds like. Yep, yep there is. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, I feel like it's my, that's on me for not doing my research. Then. Fair enough. No, but you, you know, I think there's something to be said because um, we do plan uh, with the next iteration of, of our pinball platforms to include 
uh, more in-depth info on the tables, uh, you know, right at your fingertips in the rule sets and, and help players get into the table um, a, a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we didn't know how much uh, to give away or how much to spoil um, when when we uh, when we set out with this. And plus, we saw that it kind of created a community around it. A lot of people just started talking to each other on the forums uh-huh. and, hey, help me out. Like, what's can you give me a tip here with this? So. We, there was some good and some bad with it, but I think we will probably add more tips to um, the table rules and the layout like in the game when, when you hit the pause menu and you're looking for help. Uh, Mel, the fact that you use the term spoiler, uh, I guess, makes me appreciate that for some people it is a sense of exploration and discovery. Is that It's almost like a narrative. Like, here's me figuring out the table. Here are the, the, the things that I figure out. And to just have all that dumped in someone's lap to some people might constitute a spoiler. And we even have, like, on our forums, the, some of the more hardcore players uh, won't even watch the trailer before they play it. Um, mm. Look at screenshots, some of them will, but some of them are like, nope, no thanks, don't want to look at a trailer, like, don't want to ruin anything, I want my first experience to be totally fresh. And actually, to be fair, Bobby, some of those trailers, you guys do give away some of the coolest moments. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> even though I may never see it, it's super advanced. Uh, I feel like, wait, I should have to earn that. Before we speak briefly about some of the other stuff that Zen has done, I want to pose a very difficult question to you guys, and I'll go first so you can collect your thoughts. But I am going to banish both of you to a desert island. On this desert island, you are allowed to bring three Zen Studios pinball tables with you, and only three. You will live a comfortable life on this desert island. You will not want for food, water, shelter, but you will only have three (laughs) pinball tables. What tables are those going to be? So while you consider that, I I expect answers from both of you. No copying from each other's uh, answers, by the way. Uh, I'm going to list mine because I've actually been giving this some thought. I would, first of all, take the Epic Quest table for that leveling gimmick. Uh, I feel like that gives it a unique appeal, a unique longevity that the other tables don't have, so I must have that table. Uh, I am also bringing uh, Paranormal because, uh, A, it's not licensed, and I really like the tables that aren't licensed. I'm almost a little ashamed of myself when I fall in love with a licensed (laughs) table. Uh, I feel a little cheap, (laughs) like you guys have gotten me with the license. So Paranormal doesn't have a license. I love that about it. Uh, I love the tone of it. Uh, I love the fact, and this gets to what we were just talking about with the documentation, that I ended up figuring out that stupid cube on my own. You know, It took me forever, but I finally kind of figured out Oh, this is how it works, and I think there were hints in the in the the table rules. But I, I, for me, that was a huge aha moment in video game pinball is figuring out what's going on with that little Hellraiser cube in the in the middle of Paranormal. So I have unique affection for Paranormal, and again, Bobby, I apologize for all of those nasty remarks I, I wrote about taking so long with Paranormal. I was glad it finally came to the 360. Uh, and then finally, and here is where I sheepishly admit that sometimes the licensing works for me. Uh, The new hotness for me is that Starfighter Assault table. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's my latest favorite. I love all the missions in there. I love all the little toys that fly around. I love how it taps into the iconic sound and images from the Star Wars stuff without having to resort to the little dolls or whatever. Uh, So those are my three tables. Epic Quest, Paranormal, and uh, Starfighter Assault. Mel, why don't you go next? You're being sent to this desert island. You get three tables. Okay. The three that I'm taking with me are Boba Fett, Mm. Excalibur, and Nightmare Mansion. Interesting choice. So why Excalibur? I haven't touched Excalibur in forever. What what makes that stand out for you? 
Excalibur was the first table um, that here at Zen where I was like, I I actually really started to like our own game, and I know that sounds terrible, <laughs> but but the, the theme like I'm I'm just a huge like I love knights, I love the round table, and just uh-huh. like I grew up with stories like that and King Arthur, and so that was a major win for me. And then it was the first time where I felt like we actually um, with the theme we executed like 3D interactions really well, like with the. Uh, um, the the big log that knocks the the castle door down ah, and the right. dragon comes out. Right. I mean, it was just like wow, we we actually pulled this off. And there's like things happening and, it, and it's not a cluster, you know, and it's not actually interfering with the gameplay. It, like makes sense in the gameplay. Mm-hmm. So that still just lives um, in my mind as like a really proud moment and something I'm proud that we were able to accomplish and a big stepping stone to other things for us. So um, just good memories at that table. Uh, and- dear to my heart. Uh, Nightmare Mansion, I recall being really cute. I know it's got that weird UFO little table at the top. Uh, what else? What what makes Nightmare Mansion stand out for you? Nightmare Mansion is just it's so fun. Every time I, I go to play it, I just enjoy myself. It's you can get into a, a nice rhythm and a good flow. And I always seem to do something on that table that I'd never done before, uh-huh. and so it makes me feel very proud. I'm like, whoa, I never made that happen. I didn't even know I could <laughs> do that. You know, I mean, like, and I'm supposed to know these things inside and out, but there's just um, it's just no matter when I, I play that table, it just um, I have a good time and it's really funny. A, a lot of people like that's their favorite table too. So it's got the you know just the scary Halloween theme and um, it's just it's really fun. Now, uh, Mel, I'm asking for a little reassurance about my own abilities here, but let me ask you: Do I suck at pinball or is Boba Fett a pretty challenging table? Boba Fett is very challenging. Very <laughs> okay, good. Glad yeah. to know that. <laughs> it does seem like it has one of those long, gratifying learning curves. Uh, like like it, it takes a while to master all the, the elements of, the, of that table, and I really like the divide between like the empire and the bounties. Uh, mm-hmm. Boba Fett does some very cool stuff. Collecting bounties across the universe is just so much fun. Who wouldn't you know, want to do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, it was it was close. I almost picked Moon Knight over Boba Fett, but <gasps> oh, I went with Boba Fett. Um, because I'm, I'm again um, part of part of just what the team did with that, and I I just I really enjoy the the character. Um, you know, Boba Fett doesn't have a lot of personality in the movies. He he actually didn't have a very large role, but I feel like LucasArts actually gave us a lot of leeway to, like, essentially create canon for him and, and do things like, hey, how would Boba Fett interact more with characters in the universe and whatnot? And we actually got to do that on the table, which is really cool. One of the things I admire about Boba Fett is for a challenging table, uh, I think it's it's this missile concept. Like, there's, there's a way you can bank... Um, the missiles to do an end run around certain skill-based dynamics. Like you yep. can you can do a shortcut, and I, I really admire that about Boba Fett. Uh, is here's this really tough, challenging table, but there are opportunities for for people who aren't super good to achieve some of the stuff that really good players can do. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a cool feature. All right, Bobby, three tables. You're going to be on a desert island for a while. What three tables are you taking? Um, I'm taking Epic Quest. Um, not for the same reason you're taking it. Okay. Uh, it was my first release with Zen, so I was really, like, I just remember playing that table so much and just wanting to learn everything there is to learn about it, and I, I still don't know everything. I mean, I still consult the guide from time to time, but um, it's just, it was the first table that I, you know, that I got to write about and that I got to talk about, and people were really excited because it was a new kind of idea with the RPG elements and the loot and everything like that, so... That one's just kind of, you know, that's my baby. <laughs> you know, Bobby, when you mention that, it occurs to me that it sounds like all three of us, I imagine everyone is like this, 
has, we have a special place in our heart for that first table that we really started to wrap our heads around. Uh, Mel, like you talking about Excalibur, me with Paranormal, Bobby, you with Epic Quest. It's kind of like you can only have one first table, but you will <laughs> always have that with you. Yeah. Special, special table, yeah. yeah. All right, um, so Epic Quest is going with you, good. Epic Quest, and then I would say um, probably Sorcerer's Lair, just because that was... It's such a good table, and we usually, on a couple platforms, we give it away, which people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's such a good table. Like, you wouldn't expect the free one to be so good. Mm-hmm. And I just love the theme, like, with the ghosts, and, like, it's a little, it's kind of like, you know, like Mel said, it's like a little bit spooky, kind of, um, uh, you know, it's just a fun little table, and it makes you, it's it's rewarding. I feel like it's a really rewarding table, and, you know, once you start figuring it out, it's like, wow, I'm I'm good at pinball, and then of course I go to like Iron Man, and I just. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was- uh, and real quick, Bobby. So Sorcerer's Lair uh, is is free on certain platforms. Like right now, people listening could just go get Sorcerer's Lair for free. Yeah, um, it's on. I think it's a free table on Android, iOS, and Steam. I think okay. it's those three. Okay. So yeah, it's totally free. Um, no, you know, no timed limit or anything like that. So. Um, but yeah, I, I love that table. I absolutely love it. And then my third choice would have to be Infinity Gauntlet, um, just because that was the first moment when I started playing one of my tables and was just blown away. Like I could not like the table flipped upside down and I just lost my mind. I was like, what <laughs> thinks of this stuff? Like this is crazy evil genius stuff. Like it just blew me away and I was I was in love with it immediately. So I would definitely take. Infinity Gauntlet. I think Infinity Gauntlet is one of those tables where I could completely understand someone thinking that they'd had something spoiled if they watched the trailer. Like if you if you let Infinity Gauntlet reveal itself to you at its own pace, it, it has some amazing surprises in store, doesn't it? It definitely does. Yeah, yeah good. Uh, all right, so in addition to Pinball, of course, uh, Zen Studios has done a few other things recently, and there's some exciting announcements about at least one of them. Uh, but you guys have done a Kick Beat, which is a rhythm-based fighting game, I believe. Uh, there was a Planet Mini Golf game for a while. Uh, but most notably, you've recently done Castle Storm, which, uh, Mel, how would you, what's the elevator pitch for Castle Storm? How would you explain, because I see this as almost three completely separate games kind of jammed together in a very interesting way. It's a super genre mashup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, no give doubt. me the elevator pitch for Castle Storm. Okay, so Castle Storm is uh, castle versus castle, physics-based destruction, real-time strategy, leveling up weapons, troops, armories, all thrown together on a battlefield, uh, born out of this idea that building Lego cities is fun and we want to throw wow. objects at it and break it down. Like, yeah, I was thinking like Angry Birds. But yeah, there is kind of a Lego yeah. element because you also build the castle. Like in Angry Birds, you're given the setup that you just knocked down. But in, in Castle Storm, you either use one of the assigned castles or you can build your own castle, in which case it hurts all that much more when it's getting banged up uh, at, when you're playing a match. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, the exciting news about Castle Storm, uh, it's out soon for a couple of new platforms, right? Yeah, next week we are going to be available on PlayStation 3 and PS Vita. And I can't, I, it sounds like an, an awesome game for, for the Vita. Uh, I, I'm, I can't wait to see this on the Vita. So, Yeah, I think, Bobby, you've been playing it a lot on Vita right now, right? I have, yeah. I, um, I sat down with it for a little while. I've, 
I mean, I've beat it on on XBLA and on Steam, and now I'm like, ooh, I get to do it two more times on, <laughs> on Vita. And, and on. so, does the Vita have the same sort of career progression? Because there's all the missions, and you get the stars for them. There's, there's clearly a sense of digging in to unlock stuff. I presume yeah. all of that is intact in the Vita version. It's all it's identical. It's identical to the other versions, um, but it's on that that sweet sweet Vita screen. <laughs> yes, and this will be November fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're we're taking on Call of Duty Ghosts. <laughs> By Castle Storm, everybody. <laughs> I, I think there's plenty of time to play like a little Castle Storm between matches in Call of Duty Ghosts. For instance. Uh, it's a perfect fit. Uh, good. Uh, all right. Well, while I have you guys here, uh, I would like uh, both of you to choose for me. Here, here we are. It's we're recording on uh, October 31st. Happy Halloween for anyone listening today. Uh, but. Uh, on this beginning of November, late October, I would like to ask you guys, Mel and Bobby, what would you pick if you were to pick a game of the week? You know, what are you playing lately? What, uh, whether you love it or hate it, uh, what's been uh, taking up your time gaming lately? So, Mel, why don't you start off? Uh, you're asked to pick your game of the week. What do you go with? I'm going with uh, The Wolf Among Us. Oh, the Telltale thing. Yes. So, quick question. Have you played their Walking Dead games? I have. I've played it from start to finish and also played uh, 400 Days DLC. Uh, so I, I keep hearing that uh, that these are... I, I haven't played them, but I, I hear great things about the narrative, the storytelling in there, that Clementine is a really cool character in, in terms of computer game characters. Uh, how does... Is it Wolf Among Us? That's what it's called, right? Right. How, how does that hold up compared to the Telltale, the other the Walking Dead series? I think that they have taken leaps and bounds, um, steps uh, in the right direction and have improved. Um, the, the writing in Wolf Among Us is just amazing. It's, it's a lot better than Walking Dead. The voice acting, the pacing of the story, uh, which is everything in a game like that. Um, also, just the, the interactive combat, the way they have the, um, the system now. Um, just every, every element that was good about Walking Dead has just been exponentially improved on for The Wolf Among Us. Now, one of the things that I've heard about the Walking Dead series is there there really isn't a lot of interactivity. You know, there's no zombie shooting bits. There are decision-making points and stuff. But when you mention that about the combat in Wolf Among Us, can you explain a bit? Uh, how, how does that work, and how does it differ from Walking Dead? Yeah, um, and it's still the same general idea. It's the point-and-click kind of thing. And when you get into – there's really – there's two major combat scenes in Wolf Among Us. And um, when, you, when, you, when you get into them, it's like – it's it's a sequenced gameplay um, scenario, and you have to click at the right time, and you have to uh, to make sure that you know if you miss the, the time or the actual spot you're supposed to hit, then you die. Um, but they really it's it's not very straightforward. Like it's not it's in places where you would least expect it um, to okay. be, and also now you have to interact with objects. So before, if you were just fighting a zombie, um, you just keep punching them in different places on the zombie or hitting them with with your kicking with your foot, whatever. Wolf Among Us, you're actually picking up objects around the room and in your environment now, and they interact in the actual combat. So it's much more like a real fight versus just I'm sitting here tangling with uh, another NPC on my screen. Now, Mel, when you say this, and this is often a dirty word, and I don't mean it as that, but are these what would be considered QTEs, quick time events? I I guess so. Um, But these are like quick time events taken... Uh, I, I think of quick time events now like more like God of War. Um, right. This this is a bit different than God of War. It's not just but, button pressing or like matching the button. I played on PC, so I don't know how it is on on Xbox or okay. PlayStation. But yeah, it's similar to that. 
uh, and this is part of a series, right? It's ongoing. Is this just the first episode out out of how many? Do we know? Yeah, it's the first episode um, titled Faith. I believe there's going to be five episodes. Okay. And uh, yes, that's the, the story. It's uh, Fables, which I had I'd never read the comic or any had any idea what the story was about. And now I'm actually quite interested. Oh, so it's another licensed thing. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was their own. What's it? You said Fables. Is that that's the name of a graphic novel or something? Yeah, yeah, it's a graphic novel. That's okay. about as much as I know. Um, okay. I yeah, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know it's like a graphic novel or a comic series based off of. It's like a grittier version of like fairy tales. Okay. So, yeah, the Wolf Among Us is like big bad wolf kind of character. And have you have you played it, Bobby? I have not. I have not. Um, I have it. I just. I haven't carved out a couple hours to sit down and go through it. <laughs> uh, I do love what those guys are doing with the concept of episodic content. Like I, I know that it, they do a great job of, of releasing uh, things in episodes and creating this sense of water cooler talk, uh, much like people watching a TV show. Uh, I think Telltale's doing a great job tapping into that kind of format. You know, that type of game right now, just, it fits uh, my my schedule and my life, kind of. I mean, I have a few small, a few, I have two small daughters, and like we've been playing Lego Marvel together, which is a lot of fun. We just haven't got very far because they just want to <laughs> smash things with Hulk, and so we never leave the first level. Right, right. But I can jump on, you know, and, and play Wolf Among Us, and, and within two hours, I get this great idea of what's going on. I'm immersed in a great game world. There's good writing and acting, which I'm more appreciative now, um, you know. And so it's just, it, it really fits what's going on for me right now, and I really appreciate that about that game. It, it really is funny, Mel. There was a time when a short game, that was that was always a liability. Like, a game should always be 12, 15 hours uh, and these days, sometimes you don't want to spend that much time with, with something. You want something to unfold itself in just a couple of hours. And yeah, so uh, all right. So Wolf Among Us, that's out now uh, from Telltale. Bobby, what would you choose as your game of the week? Um, I would say Torchlight Two. I've been playing a lot mm-hmm. of it lately. Um, I finished up one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and just as soon as I finished that one, I started up two and was just like in love. <laughs> I really- uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> quest i really like you know the idea of like getting loot and like getting you know more money to get better loot and stuff like that so um i really like you know games with loot and stuff like like borderlands and borderlands 2 like are probably my favorite games but um but yeah I'm, I'm having a great time with torchlight right now uh one of the things that torchlight does that i i think a lot of action rpgs don't necessarily do it makes it unique among action rpgs is is having this uh, I don't want to say cartoony because that sounds dismissive, but this more charming, almost Disney family-friendly take. Like it's not all grim and dark and, and dire. Uh, it's just, it's just colorful. It's cheerful. Uh, it the it's beautiful. It's really pretty yeah. to look. Yeah. Yeah, a very charming game. Uh, so okay, let me ask you, Bobby. Uh, what class are you playing, and what did you choose as your pet? Oh man, I have a few characters going, but. Uh... Huh. I chose so I have one of each of each um, of each class, and then for my for my pet, I did my favorite pet is the owl, um, just because I like I like owls, so that's what I went with. <laughs> there aren't there aren't many games that let you bring an owl along. There aren't a Harry Potter themed game, that's, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing I like about uh, about Torchlight is like you really do use your your companion or familiar or whatever they call it. Um, you do, really do use your pet because you know. It can like go back to town and sell stuff for you. Like you're not constantly making trips back and forth, and 
it's like it makes sense to have the have the pet and have it you know be able to carry what it can and do what it does and stuff. So it really does. It feels helpful in a way that it wouldn't if it was just helping you attack, for instance. The fact that it can do helpful errands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It runs errands for you exactly. (laughs) And not just sell stuff. I love that you can tell it. If I'm not mistaken, can't you tell it? Hey, bring me back some potions while you're in town. Yeah, yeah. Two and two. You have like a little. uh, I think it's called a shopping list, and you just kind of check off how many things of each you want and it like goes and sells your stuff and uses that money to to buy new stuff so yeah why, why can't my cat do that in real life <laughs> <laughs> that <is> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right torchlight too very good uh so does either of you play shooters at all like first person shooters much um i play a lot of borderlands too <laughs> mm-hmm. so has either of you been uh into battlefield at all ea's uh multiplayer series i have not played it yet no no so it's a little infuriating. So my game of the week is, is Battlefield 4, which uh, does some amazing stuff. Good Lord, the the studio, DICE, this graphics engine, it's called the Frostbite engine, uh, just, uh, you know, jaw-dropping is such an overused term, but I'm going to go ahead and roll it out here. Uh, the, the engine is amazing, just does some amazing stuff, and I'm constantly flabbergasted at some of the destruction that's going on. Uh I really like their progression system this this time in that I feel like I have a lot of options up front. I don't have to grind away to unlock the basic med kit or, or whatever. Uh, it's just so, yeah, that, that sort of early stage, especially in an online competitive multiplayer shooter, having to being dropped in there with like a crappy gun is just so dispiriting, <laughs> so demoralizing in the early stages of some of those. Um, so, but uh, one of the things that uh, when you sit down to play Battlefield Four, it is such an investment in that. Okay, you're going to be. It's going to take forever to load. Uh, you're going to get into a game, and like as not, it's going to be some long, drawn out conquest scenario. Uh, you know, your your side has what's called tickets, and as you take losses or as territory gets captured, your tickets slowly count down, and they tend to start at something like 800 or 1,000 or whatever, so it takes forever for the points to slowly count down, and you can be losing egregiously and still have 10 minutes of game to go. Uh, but it's it's such an investment to get in there and play, but part of what that that, that creates this increased sense of stakes. Like, I think you care about it more than when you're playing something like Call of Duty, where a match is going to be over in three minutes, and then you're done, and you're on to the next one. Uh, so while I really appreciate that kind of investment, at times it can be really frustrating, and I just want to just jump in and shoot things and be done with it, and not have to do all this positioning, and okay, now I'm getting in a helicopter, and some guy won't land, and so, okay, do I jump out, or do I wait for him? Uh, just the interdependency on your team is such an important part in, in Battlefield 4. Uh, so for better or worse, I'm really liking Battlefield 4, and we'll talk more about this on next week's podcast. But what amazes me, and this has been the case for quite a while, is how Battlefield and Call of Duty aren't necessarily direct competitors. They both offer such a completely different kind of experience. Uh, and so I've played Ghosts, we'll talk about that next week, and I've been playing Battlefield 4, and I feel you can't, you absolutely can't say, okay, this is the one to get over this one. Mm-hmm. They each offer something very different, and I feel like if you're, if you're into these kind of shooters, you, you, you might have to resign yourself to getting both of them. Um, so uh, there's my game of the week, Battlefield 4, and we'll talk more about Ghosts on the podcast next week. You know, you're making me want to play a first-person shooter. I haven't <laughs> picked one up since Black Ops, but... What do you do? You, do you okay? What Mel do you like? Story or multiplayer in your first-person shooters? I, I'm 
story because if I jump into multiplayer, I get killed like in a moment. I mean, I, I used to be good at these games. I, I just get wasted now. I can't believe how awesome players are these days. It really so, it, and it 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 is like you you just have to power through that discouragement. Like you have to be willing to be beat up for a while on the playground before you can get anything out of the multiplayer stuff. Is yeah. That's totally how it feels. It's like yeah. I go in and I just get beat down and I can't survive more than a minute and I'm just you know I'm I'm roadkill. One of the uh, real quick, Bobby. One of the things that Call of Duty Ghosts does really well is it it addresses that kind of mentality, those sorts of reservations a lot of us have about going online with some really cool options for bots, um, for jumping into a match that is, for all intents and purposes, like any other multiplayer match, but it is staffed with bots that tune themselves to your skill level. And there's even some long-term persistence and leveling up there. So I really like what Ghosts brings to the table to address that reservation that you have, Mel. So I'm sorry I cut you off, Bobby. Oh, no, it's fine. Um that sounds that sounds crazy. I didn't know they had uh, they had bots that like match you, so you don't feel so, you know, overpowered all the time. That's really cool. It's something that uh, that Activision with the Call of Duty series they've they've over the last few installments been toying increasingly with with giving people that multiplayer experience with bots. Uh, and in Ghosts, I feel like they've finally done a really really good job where it's almost on par with what the old Unreal Tournament series did. You know, when you played Unreal Tournament, if you didn't want it, you didn't have to play online. You could, but you could also do some amazing stuff with bots. You could get the, the full experience from, from the Unreal Tournament games and never go online by just playing with bots. And I feel like Activision has finally realized that in Ghosts, yet here we are with, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's Halo or, or Battlefield uh, or Crisis, like so many of these other big AAA shooters just aren't appreciating that, hey, some of us just want to play against bots. We don't want to, like Mel said, get online and then die ten times in a row to maybe get one kill. Uh, so uh, I like what Ghost has done with that. So, uh, Bobby, uh, so Borderlands 2, uh, are you playing, what platform do you play on? Um, I have it on PC and on 360, so I've, I've played mostly on PC. Um, I need to go back through on 360 and just finish finish up the story and get all my all my dlc downloaded <laughs> can i make a guess and guess that you bobby play a siren maybe <laughs> <laughs> so i'm cheating you have i'm pretty sure that's a siren on your uh on your icon there yep it is <laughs> <laughs> uh have you seen the tiny tina downloadable content the uh it's not dungeons it's a what is it Dragons and something. Oh yeah, I, I heard about it. I haven't I haven't checked it out yet. I oh, it is so adorable. I've just uh, started a little bit of that. But now, are you one of the people who thinks Tiny Tina is awesome or annoying? Uh, annoying. <laughs> <gasps> no, Bobby, we can't be friends now. I can't be friends with you. I'm sorry. You find her annoying. Oh, she's so endearing to me. Okay, well, let me ask you this one, Bobby. Uh, uh, claptrap, annoying or endearing? Endearing. I love. No, Bobby, you're getting all the answers wrong on this quiz. <laughs> I'm gonna. Have, I can't give you a passing grade on the Borderlands Two quiz. <laughs> <I love laughs> uh, and there, actually, to be fair, there's some really cute stuff they do with him in Borderlands Two, like the party when he has his party and nobody shows up, and, and yeah, it's, uh, and like yeah, nobody shows up and he doesn't have any presents, and it's kind of sad but kind of adorable. I don't know. I feel so bad for the little guy. <laughs> okay, I have to change my answer. I'm gonna go to Endearing as well. Which, uh, <laughs> Uh, Bobby, do you have the achievement on the Xbox 360 for giving Claptrap a high five? I do. I do. I totally do. Good. <laughs> high five right here, then. Good. 
Uh, well, Bobby and Mel, I really appreciate you guys hanging out with me today. Uh, and thank you so much for all the fantastic work you do for Zen. Uh, I, it just couldn't have happened to a nicer company. The success that they've had, uh, how they've managed to really create a lot of goodwill with downloadable content at a time when everybody, uh, a lot of people grouse about downloadable content. I feel the business model with selling the individual tables that Zen Studios is using, you guys are some of the good guys. So thanks for all the awesome work that you've done. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for saying that. Uh, and again, just a, a shout out, uh, Castle Storm out for the Vita. I'm looking forward to playing it uh, on that platform out on November 5th. Um, so uh, for those of you listening, uh, join us next week. We'll be talking about some Call of Duty ghosts. Uh, remember to uh, like us on Facebook. We appreciate that. Rate us on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at QT3. Uh, I'm Tom Chick, and I will see everyone here for some Call of Duty ghosts next week. <laughs>